that's not our main focus for this morning. We are still in Proverbs, which means I still want to share some other Proverbs with you at the beginning because I still don't feel like coming up with different creative sermon intros. So here we go. Are you ready for some other Proverbs? These have been pretty good. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad you're not tired of them yet. There is an old, you are and you're just, you know, pandering. That's fine too. There's an old Czech saying, young people, <laughs> young people, and dogs take many useless steps in an hour. <laughs> Sorry, students. I know that can't be true. You're not usually walking a whole lot. There's an old Danish saying, the goose that has lost its head no longer cackles. That's right. It's true. Very, quite literally true. <laughs> There's an old English saying, every mile is two in winter. Can I get an amen? Yeah, that was a good one for today. Gosh, it's cold. All right, Danish. There's an old Danish saying, it is bad to lean against a falling wall. And that one wins the most obvious prize. Thank you. Tips. And last but not least, there's an old Samoan saying, I am sitting in a cranky boat. (laughs) And I don't know if that's so much a saying as just an old Samoan was complaining about his boat. Not sure. It's always good to see what other places and through other times has considered a wise saying. And it's always good to maybe sharpen our focus as we come to Proverbs, which we believe is not just a collection of of wise, wise Proverbs and sayings, but is the inspired word of God. And now, I need to uh, begin, I need to begin with a confession. No, I'm, I'm going to read for you first, and then I'm going to confess. Is that okay? Oh, now you're really interested. Okay, I'm going to read Proverbs 3, verses 1 to 12 for you. If you've got your Bibles, you can open them up. Um, this passage is a bit longer. It won't be on the screen, but it will be our home base for this morning, so you can certainly open your own version of the Bible to Proverbs 3. I'll read the first 12 verses, and then I will confess to you. My son, do not forget my teaching. But let your heart keep my commandments, for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing for your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your, produ- all your produce. And then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Wonderful. And that's our focus. We're going to talk about trust, not just any old trust. We're going to talk about the importance of being wise enough to trust in the Lord. Now, my confession. This was a bit of a crazy week for me. And uh, there was a few things that popped up in my life that I couldn't really make sense of. And they were stressing me out and I was worrying about them. They were unforeseen. Uh, It seemed like it could be a big deal, could be a huge problem, and I had no ready solution. And so one night this week, I was laying awake worrying. I was literally losing sleep over these issues. Losing sleep over worrying about what I could do to fix these problems. And I wake up the next morning and say, I better make sure I do my sermon prep. And then I came to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And this is how I read it that morning. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, dummy. And do not lean on your own understanding, dummy. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your straight your paths, dummy. That was uh, 
the new Amplified Andrew version just for me that morning. I was convicted because I hadn't been living in that trust during the same week that I was trying to encourage all of you to live in that trust. And so I felt like, you know what? Uh, I was convicted of what happened the evening before. And so I have been trying to focus more on this wholehearted trust and commitment to God. And so I'd encourage you, again, as we learn this together, know that I am learning it with you and that God is continuing to teach me all of the different ways in which I can trust him more completely and more fully. And so let's learn about this trust and more wholeheartedly together. Now, it's not just any trust when we talk about trusting in God. As Proverbs 3 verse 5 said, we are to trust in the Lord with all your heart. All your heart. This is a wholehearted trust. One that is often defined by commitment. And if we think of a human relationship that takes this level of trust and commitment, then we're immediately brought to the example of marriage. It's our marriage relationships in which we really do deeply trust our spouse, where we we make vows of lifelong commitment to them with that trust. It's the best reflection we have of, of what it means to truly trust in the Lord, that marriage relationship. It is this type of heartfelt commitment to trust that God desires. And so I'm going to borrow some marriage language here in order to make some of the main points, or the first main point. We are going to say, I do. What do we say? Well, we have these vows. Married couples will make all these vows. I do pledge and vow to do this. And for us today, we are going to say, I do trust in the Lord. I hope that this can be your own heartfelt vow and commitment. And marriages can be a good reminder of that. I'm not sure if I've showed you some of my wedding pictures. They're slightly embarrassing to me because of all the hair I used to have. Can you show that, Landon? Everyone, let everyone know what I'm talking about. I know, right? Man, good thing I enjoyed it while I had it. I tell you, I'm glad I made the most of that time. All right, now look at it. This is our wedding day uh, 15 some years ago. Almost 16, I think, according to my calculations. Karen's not here to, to correct me, so this is good. Almost 16 years ago, and the day got off to a wonderful start. We're getting married. We're taking pictures. Though, of course, I mean, the day starts really nice, but sometimes you hit a few speed bumps, even very quickly in marriage, like this next picture will show. Didn't take long. <laughs> Didn't take long. We haven't been married yet. That was just picture taking. We're already, already working some stuff out. <laughs> yeah, that's, that remains to this day my favorite couple picture. Okay, we can, we can get rid of that now. I mean, that's, that's fine. Right, it is marriage that gives us this, this picture of vows and commitment. And, and, and yeah, it can be challenging to keep those vows. And it can be scary to place that trust in, in someone else. But we are placing this trust in the Lord. And one of the reasons why we can do it with confidence is that the vows of trust we make to God are not one-sided, but he vows as well. God is trustworthy. He has promised things to his people. The promises in in the day of Solomon would have been through that covenant and through the law. And and you may have noticed, it's a bit subtle, but I'm going to point out to you all of the covenant language that's used and interspersed throughout Proverbs 3, what we read together. At the the beginning in verse 1 and 2, keeping God's commandments leads to a long life, just like following the commandment to honor your mother and father in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, verse 12. Steadfast love and faithfulness should be written on the tablet of our heart. In verse 3, 
which very directly recalls Moses and the law and the covenant promises of God. Giving the first fruits of your wealth in verse 9 echoes the law in Exodus 23.19, exact same command. And even the loving discipline of a father to a beloved son is borrowed from Moses' teaching in Deuteronomy 8. So as the writer of this proverb is, 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 is just encouraging, just, just really pleading with people to trust in the Lord, he's at the same time reminding us and reminding them of how much God is trustworthy because he has made vows. He has made promises and commitments. And to them, it was through the law and the old covenant. And to us, it is through the covenant faithfulness of God through his son, Jesus Christ. Yes, we commit to wholehearted, lifelong, faithful trust in God, but he has committed to his people as well. And unlike us, God always remains perfectly true to his promises. If we continue to use this example of a marriage relationship, our vows of commitment and trust in God are tested during the difficult times. And so, yes, there are many couples, and I was one of them, that found it very easy to stand before the altar and to make these vows of commitment to Karen before she changed her mind. I found that very incredibly easy to do. But now that you live life together and things happen and some of them will be amazing things and some of them will be hard things and challenging things and then I fail and she fails and it's in those moments that trust is tested. It's in those moments that you found out how much trust you actually have put in each other. It's easy to trust when everything is going well, but is that even, by definition, trust at all? And the difficulty is that or the hardship is that precisely when trust is most difficult to give, when it's most difficult to give, is when it's most important to give. When it's the hardest thing for us to do, it is often the most valuable thing for us to do. And so you may be sitting here today and saying, yeah, I, I, I memorized Proverbs 3, 5 to 6 when I was young. I haven't memorized today, but trusting is hard right now. You don't understand all the things that are going on. You don't understand all the things that are, that are going wrong the things that are stacked against me, it is hard to trust in the Lord. And I say, I believe you, and, and, and it is really vitally important that you place your trust in him. The harder it is, the more important it is. We have to trust when things go wrong. How many people here have ever been bungee jumping? I'm just curious. It might be none. Is it none? Good. I was really going to make fun of bungee jumpers. Good. You all have what I have, common sense. I, and, and a healthy sense of self-preservation. I've never been bungee jumping, and that is very much on purpose. So one of the things that I can't say is that I trust bungee jumping equipment. I, I say I probably do. I can look at the harness. I could even put it on, and I could go stand up on the platform. I could be like, yeah, the harness is secure. Carabiners, whatever they have, like that's going to that's gonna hold me. I could test the elasticity of the rope and make sure that, that there's no frays. I could even look at the calculations that would physically prove that no harm would come to me if I leapt off that platform. But it is not trust. It is not trust until I jump, which I never will, so I will never trust bungee jumping equipment. But to trust the Lord is the same way. If we just say, yeah, I believe in God. If we window shop the, the Christian beliefs, if we look through the Bible and treat them as good stories, none of that is trust. It's when we are required to leap, when we have to just blindly take that leap of faith, when things are discouraging and distracting and hard, that is when this vow is put into practice. That's when we truly trust in the Lord. Now, in marriage, we say, I do. 
But as part of the vows, we often also will say something that we do not. We will renounce and forsake all others. You are mine to have and to hold, and I forsake all others. So in the sake of of the vows that we're making here today, we would say, I do trust in the Lord, but then I do not trust in myself. That is the flip side of what we are taught here in Proverbs. As it describes it in Proverbs 3, we are told to not lean on our own understanding and be not wise in our own eyes. So part of of trusting in God, taking that leap of faith, is to relinquish some of our own wisdom and our own strength and our own control. This calls into remembrance what we know from the beginning of our sermon series, that God knows better than we do. He is the source of all wisdom. He is the giver of all wisdom. And so when we need wisdom, we trust in his, we do not trust in our own. When we need strength, we do not trust in our own, we trust in him. There are times when God finds a way where there seems to be no other way. So if it's a problem that you are chewing on, similar to me, and you're thinking of all the different possible solutions or scenarios or steps you can take, sometimes it feels like no matter which direction you turn, you find a dead end. Just outside of Stonewall, there's a corn maze that pops up, and and they open that corn maze up every fall. And and a few times I take my youth group there when I was still youth pastoring with all my hair. And we'd go there, and we would go to this corn maze, and some of the, the students would love it. And they would uh, do this corn maze. It was no big deal. But there was always one group that would get fairly lost in the corn maze. And it would take them a while to get back out. And it gets frustrating because you think you found the right way to go and everything is going well. And boom, another dead end. Boom, another dead end, no matter which way you turn. And the fact of the matter is, if we try to go through this life with our own perspective, with our, with our earthly limited knowledge, right? We, think, we see things only right in front of our eyes. And everywhere that we turn from that perspective, we can run into a dead end because our wisdom is not enough. But God's wisdom is not like ours. It's above and beyond ours. This would be like cheating in a maze. He's sitting above the maze. He could just radio down, hey, uh, turn left, dummy, you know, and then that kind of thing. And, and then there we go. He's directing your paths. It's his wisdom because it comes from his divine perspective. And we do not have it. We do not know past, present, and future. We are not above and beyond creation. We are not the source of wisdom, but he is. Worldly wisdom can even become an obstacle to faith and trust in God. That's something the Apostle Paul picks up on in his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 20 to 24. This is what he says. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. In Christ, we have this new covenant and these promises from God that we can trust. And in Christ, he is the prime example of God's wisdom to find a way when there was no other way. Again, if we were left to our own earthly devices and our own fleshly strength and capabilities and wisdom, all that we had done with that was sin and throw this obstacle between us and God and be alienated from our creator. That's all we have been capable of. And so because of our sin and this alienation, we require a Savior outside of ourselves 
Because we have now put ourselves in a problem that we could not fix. And Jesus is the unique, only way for us to be restored to God. That God himself would come down and die for our sins and restore us to right relationship with God where he would find a way where there was no other way. And if God can do that for our eternal salvation through Christ, can he not do that through the things that we are facing today? God has done this in Jesus. And all of this, the good news of Jesus, turned wisdom and power upside down. According to the world, it would make no sense that the humility of the cross became the victory of Christ. That something that seemed like defeat would be victory. That something that seemed like, like, like torture and death, and it was, would actually be the ultimate act of power. That something that looked like loss would truly be our salvation. And after this sermon, we're going to have a chance to take communion to remind ourselves of how God found a way for our salvation when there seemed like no other way. And to remind ourselves that the world thinks that the, the cross makes no sense and it is the hope of the world. Because God's foolishness is wiser than the world. Don't let worldly wisdom become an obstacle. Now we can see how this trust in God's wisdom takes a step further. It's not just a deep commitment to trust in God's wisdom, but also in his strength. And these two ideas are related. Not only is God wise, but he is sovereign. He's in control. He is all-powerful. He's able to actually do something when we feel and are truly out of control. Just like Jesus was sufficient to be the Savior when we did not have what we needed in and of ourselves. There's another passage that I read in my, in my devotions this week, and I was like, oh, I have, to, I have to bring this as a parallel passage here to Proverbs 3, and that's Jeremiah 17, another very well-known selection of verses, picking up in verse 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an inhabited salt land. Now, on the other side, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear I think we need to read Proverbs 3 and Jeremiah 17 side by side, where Proverbs calls us to this deep trust in God's wisdom, and Jeremiah calls us to this deep trust in God's strength. And Jeremiah begins his passage with an, I do not trust in my own strength. And if we do, if flesh is our strength, if that is where our trust and hope is, then, then Jeremiah gives his, his own illustration of this shrub in the desert. It's always thirsty, it's parched, it's unhealthy, it's sickly. And if anything, any heat, any drought, any storm comes up, then that plant will not survive. It will not be able to endure the most difficult things. And if you or I try to control everything in our life, and our first and sometimes only response is to fix things on our own, if we lean on our own strength, then we will also be parched and lacking and unhealthy, finding that we never have enough. But then Jeremiah turns it around and says, I do trust in the Lord. And when you do this, the picture is of a tree, healthy, vibrant, planted by water with its roots going down into the stream. And the beauty of the picture he gives us is he says, when the drought comes, when the storms come, when those difficult times arise, that tree 
will be able to survive because it is rooted in the water. It is rooted in the life-giving wisdom and power of God. And not only will it survive, but it never ceases to bear fruit. This tree is fruitful. It can thrive no matter the outside elements because at the source, the trust is in the Lord. So don't shy away from hard things. God is ready and able to help you through drought and storm. Trust. Commit to that trust and be rooted in him. Now, obviously, when we think of of marriage, the the commitment of marriage is lived in a close personal relationship. It's the closest relationship that we have. And our commitment and trust in God should reflect the same thing. We don't do this out of just duty or obligation or at arm's length. We are called to trust in God in a deeply personal way. Or we can say today that I have a relationship with God. Now, we don't always see this at, at first glance in Proverbs 3. I'm going to draw our attention back there. It, there's this, this hinge that's important. This is our access to these promises. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. So something we should do and something that we shouldn't do. And later on, it gives us some promises. And here's the hinge. Here is, is, is the crux of the matter. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Do this, don't do that, in all your ways acknowledge him. And that word acknowledge, if we read it in in our English context, it seems like it's just this mental assessment, right? Like, okay, I see God. I acknowledge that he's God and I'm not. I believe he exists. Okay, God is God. That's great. But it's much more than a, a, a mental, even emotional or physical acknowledgement. It is something deeply personal. The word means to know the Lord and to be known. To know God, not just to acknowledge him with your mind, but to know who he is and to love who he is, just as he knows who you are, who you are, and he loves who you are. So if we want to read how, how we get these promises, we could read it this way: in all your ways, know and love and relate to him, and he will make straight your paths. This is a relationship defined by love. And we again point to the cross because when Jesus shed his blood for you, when he laid down his life for you, that was pure love. No greater love has a man than this than to lay down his life for his friends than for those he also loves. And love is also what God desires in return as part of our commitment and trust in him. So yes, we see this word acknowledge in verse 6, but there is love language all throughout Proverbs 3. In verse 1, it says, let your heart keep my commandments. Not blind obedience, not religious actions. Let your heart keep my commandments. Verse 3, let not your steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Don't lose your love. Instead, write them on the tablet of your heart. And in verse 12, for the Lord reproves whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. So the trust we're talking about doesn't come from blind obedience to commands. That has never been the case. It's never been God's desire, old covenant or new. So what do you do to acknowledge him? Get to know him more. Seek to deepen your love for God. Relate to him well, and trust will naturally follow. I was listening to a podcast a few weeks ago, and and, uh, Pastor Timothy Keller was on the podcast, and I really like Tim Keller. He's someone I look up to greatly. And the host of the podcast asked, what do you think pastors need to do in order to avoid all these many pitfalls that could derail their ministry? How, did, how have you done it? How have you done this your whole career? How, what could pastors do? And he says they need to simply love 
being in the presence of God. They need to need that more than they need anything else. To find time to sit and to pray and to listen to God. It has to be. It has to be there all the time. That was a great encouragement to me. That's one of the things I'm hoping to do more in this new year. But I will tell you this, church, that that advice is not at all limited into how uh, pastors need to do things. This is really drawing us right into what we're talking about here. What do we need to do to deepen our commitment and our trust in God? Well, we need to just love Him. And we need to relate to Him. And we need to find time, carve out time to sit and to listen and to be quiet and to be in the presence of our God. Because we have a wonderful relationship with Him. As we wrap up this morning, there are many promises attached to the call to committed, loving trust in God. And those are the ones that perhaps um, kind of jump off the page to us at first glance. Well, what can we get if we do this? Well, long life, sign me up. Peace, sounds good. Favor and success before God and men, sure. Straight paths, yep. Full barns, okay. And vats of, of wine, yeah, absolutely. Okay, what's the, all of these things are these are these promises that come with it, these blessings that come with these proverbs. And of course, the barns and the vats are really a signal of wealth. Uh, ours would maybe look different, like a full Venmo account or something like that. I'm not sure how we could do that today. I shouldn't bring up Venmo. I don't know nearly enough about it. Okay. Nothing maybe summarizes all of these promises better than verse 7 and 8, where it says, uh, sorry, 8 in particular, be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So trust is important when we are hurting. Why? Because that's when it's needed the most. And that's when God desires to heal you. Do you feel tired? Do you feel bone weary? Do you need refreshment? Do you need healing? And again, this is not limited at all to physical healing. This is really a way of, of, of saying that every area of your life, every area of your life, God can give you what you need. And so we do trust in the Lord. I do not trust in myself. I have this relationship with him. And I receive all that I need. The reason the author of Proverbs goes to so many different examples of the promise, he's not saying that it's limited to these things. He's saying that each and every area of your life God can give you all that you require. If you, if you need that wealth, he will give you what you need. If you need that healing, he will give you what you need. Not what you want, what you need. And when you trust in God, you will have all that you need, this holistic well-being. And again, the harder it seems to trust in the Lord, the more likely you need the benefits of that trust. The more likely you need the benefits of the trust. You could have lost a loved one recently, and mourning and grief defines your days. Trust in the Lord. You could be fighting, perhaps losing a battle with mental illness. It's just hard to get going each and every day. Trust in the Lord. You could be enduring strained relationships with those that you love and care the most. Trust in the Lord. There could be mounting financial troubles and stresses as inflation rises. Trust in the Lord. Maybe you lost your job and you don't know who will hire you next. Trust in the Lord. And perhaps you have a physical illness or sickness, chronic, terminal, otherwise. Trust in the Lord. When I say 
all these things. I do trust in the Lord. I do not trust in myself. I have a relationship with God. You can also say I receive all that I need. Now, do these things all immediately go away? Absolutely not. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, you will still grieve. You will still struggle with mental illness. Those financial uh, strains are very real and the bills still come due. What is the promise of the Proverbs? It's that the wisdom and the strength of God and God alone are capable of healing and fulfilling you in a way that nothing else can. And if you place your trust in God, I promise you that he will come through. And I would love to hear more and more and more stories of us saying, I was in a place where I found no way out. I placed my trust in the Lord, and this is what he has done for me. It's a bumpy journey. It's not a straight line. But there is no way that we can overcome our grief, our struggles with addiction, mental illness, broken relationships, financial troubles, physical illness. There's no way that we can deal with them on our own. We need God's We need it. If you're trying to do it on your own, the first thing you do is stop and start with trust. I'm going to ask Jordan to come up and we're going to prepare to take communion right away. Just as marriage reflects to trust in the Lord with all your heart is about love and commitment. So you can say, I do trust in the Lord. I do not trust in myself. I have a personal relationship with God and I receive all that I need. And if I were to summarize that for you, I would leave you with this word to the wise. The trust that God is looking for is lifelong, faithful commitment. May that be true in your heart today. Let's pray. Father God, you have given some significant promises in your Proverbs. And God, we know that this isn't just a key to unlock health and wealth and leave all our cares behind. We do know that this life gives us some situations that we just cannot overcome on our own. So God, for those things, for all things, I pray that we would be a group of people who place our trust in you, personally and together. God, I thank you that you've chosen to extend this trust to us. You are a trustworthy person. You have made promises born out of your love for us, all of which have been culminated at the cross and the sacrifice of Jesus. And I thank you so much that you are trustworthy. God, I pray that as you do prove yourself true to these promises, that you prove yourself to be trustworthy, that we would be excited, that would deepen our trust in you, and that we would share these stories with each other. God, we thank you for all these things and pray in your name. Amen.